Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist and professor. Today on the podcast, I have two very special guests with us, with me, Aaron McLean and Harry Chima. Chima, that's how you pronounce it, right? Yep. They were students in a course I taught last quarter. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. I thought I would have them on the podcast to talk about their experience of their first quarter in graduate school as they train to become therapists. I know a lot of our listeners out there are in graduate school or thinking about becoming a therapist or they are a therapist or they're a cat that just decides to <laughs> meow and when I stop talking and interrupts me. Um, but uh, I thought we would start by asking you where you're from, what do you do for fun? Give us some background about your life so that listeners can get to know you a little bit. I am from Indiana, and I had to get the hell away from there. <laughs> yeah. Small town Indiana, right? Small town Indiana. I lived in the country. Smaller yeah. than Pawnee. There were 500 people, I think, in my town. So very, very small. Yeah. So coming to Seattle is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. So when I think of a small town, 500-person town in Indiana, I think corn. Lots of it. Okay. Soybeans. Okay. Tra- Soybeans. Tractors. Tractors. Lots of country folk. Country folk. A.K.A. rednecks. A.K.A. rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because when you think rednecks, you think Alabama, you, Georgia. You don't think Indiana. But, Midwest, yeah. But if you've ever driven across the United States – the vast majority, 99% of the square <laughs> mileage of the United States yes. is, is rural. Yes. And, and it's funny because in Washington State, north of Seattle, which is almost in Canada, you'll find that people have a southern accent sometimes. <laughs> I, that's what always blew my mind about people from Indiana. It's because, like, I, I don't think I have a southern accent, but, like, I've met people from Indiana who just aren't, or, like, born and bred in Indiana who have a thick southern accent. Yeah, what is that? I I think they just want to have one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because they just identify, right? So anyway, all right. So you're from Indiana, small town. Harry, what, what about you? Where are you from? From Connecticut. Connecticut? Yeah. Interesting. Not, not too far outside of New York City. Yeah, So okay. from a pretty large town, 100,000 plus. Oh, okay. So city, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's Connecticut like? Uh, lots of wasps. Wasps? Yeah. Oh, wasps. Right. <laughs> not like not, not like the insect, but <laughs> um, that's exactly what I. Thought. Lots of upper class. I mean, there's pockets of like urban urban life, I guess, but really, it's just lots of rich old timey families. Oh, really? Yeah. The area that I'm from is surrounded by, I believe, three of the top twenty five richest cities in the country. Really? Yeah. So is it like Bellevue, Kirkland, Washington? No, it's not like any place I've seen in Washington so far. Really, yeah, it's like just very unique to the to the Northeast. Richer, more snooty. Yeah, richer, but not like tech money, oh. like old time family inheritance money. Old That's money. Just been yeah, like old <laughs> like wasps. So lots of old money. Snooty money. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, lots of uh, I'm better than you money. Wow. So you guys pretty much came from the exact same background, <laughs> right? That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you do for fun? What's, give us give us a sampling of your personality here. I like to write really long papers 
and read about psychology <laughs> 24-7. And then on Facebook, post memes <laughs> with uh, ex- exclamations of how much pain I'm putting you through as your teacher. I consider myself a meme wizard. Yeah. So. Well, along those lines, wizard, you play Dungeons and Dragons like me. Way back, well, not way back in the day. Probably about, I stopped probably about a year ago. A year ago? Yeah. Okay. Three days ago. Uh, what about you, Harry? What do you do for fun? Uh, reading, video games, and trying new beer. Trying I, new beer? Yeah, my three passions, I guess. What's What's your favorite <laughs> new beer? Um, I've been trying just lots of craft stuff, so a lot from the Fremont Brewery currently. Okay. But I like their winter ale. Okay. It's pretty good. Their 12th, um, oh, there's another brewery I just tried. <laughs> the name's escaping me right now. Do you like those really tasty beers from Seattle that just have a lot of girth to it, using a word that <laughs> yeah. was mentioned earlier? As long as they're not dark, like stout beers. I do like beers that have like a fruity ending. Oh, what video games do you like to play? Uh, mostly role-playing. Yeah. Nino Kuni is my current game that what's, I'm playing. What's that? It's a Japanese RPG oh. um, made by or animated by Studio Ghibli. Is it like, oh, them. really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They have a new movie coming out. Uh, I think it's his last movie about a guy who designs the zero for world war ii the airplane anyway (laughs) all right well why did you guys choose to become a therapist tell us why would you subject yourself to so much pain i don't know i take it all back Harry, you go first. <laughs> um, I, when I did my undergrad um, at University of Connecticut, I wanted to go into therapy and counseling initially, um, but I just I didn't like the uh, I don't want to say the education I got there. I just didn't get I didn't get interested enough in the professors uh, and what they were teaching. So I kind of just moseyed along through the program, and then left for five years and did some nonprofit work with kids in middle schools. Um, and then when I came out here to the West Coast with my current wife. I was just looking for a job and found a job at Antioch and then um, doing admissions for the school of psychology and talking with faculty and then talking with students who were interested in the program, I kind of got reinvigorated in wanting to become a therapist again. I always wanted to work with couples, um, not so much the family system as a whole um, with kids and everything, but I was drawn to working with couples married and unmarried. So it just made sense, you know, considering I was already here um, at the university and I liked the faculty. I like the type of students that came into the program. It made sense for me to just join the program and kind of start the path that I'd put off for a while. Interesting. Did you have other careers that you were considering? No. I mean, I thought about going into education, working with kids, but after doing it for a couple of years and working with middle school kids, I realized that I just really don't like working with kids <laughs> that much, <laughs> at least in that authoritative <laughs> professor or teacher um, relationship. So I was like, I can't be a teacher. I would go, I would go insane. Yeah. I That was the career I thought about two minutes before I decided to become a therapist. (laughs) I I imagined what it would be like to have to corral and discipline and get half your students just looking at you with boredom. And uh, my cat will just try try to destroy. This is the cat that tries to destroy people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He put me in check. He bit my thumb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He, that's what he does when he loves somebody. So yeah. So one of your thoughts early on in gra- in your undergrad was to become a counselor working with couples and individuals. Yeah, I like working with people and meeting people and just experiencing the dynamic of relationships. So um, it just made sense, and I just kind of lost my interest because of the faculty members that I was working with. I just didn't wasn't drawn to them. And the university pushed people more towards the research side instead of the therapy side. So I think I just didn't do my research when I decided to pick a, a university essentially. So you're you're thinking, I think I'm I think I want to be a therapist and then you go to undergrad and you start working with some of the professors and they're pushing you towards research and away from counseling and that turns you off to it and then 
you move out to Seattle, and then you randomly get a job at Antioch. So then you're at Antioch, and it's pretty much dominated by the psychology school and the counseling yeah. schools. So, and you'd been working at Antioch for a couple of years or something. About a year and a half. And then decided to enter the couple and family therapy program. Yeah. And you worked pretty closely with our department. So yeah. you got to know us pretty well. And and so it must have appealed to you at that point. Yeah. You know, I visited some classes before I, I joined the program, um, talked with faculty extensively about what I would want to do if I was to go into counseling and therapy. And I got a lot of support for um, wanting to work with uh, immigrant families that are uh, of Indian origin. And okay. that's what I wanted to do. And you know, they gave me a lot of support and told me that uh, based on my conversations with them, I seemed like I would do a good job talking with individuals. <laughs> just just shoo him off. He's going to destroy you. Yeah, I'm worried about him. So what about you, Aaron? Why did you decide to become a therapist? My story goes back a long time ago, 1842 to be exact. Now, uh, coming out of high school, um, I actually was very interested in, in psychology, but then I saw how much time and effort went into it. And at that age, I was like, screw all that, <laughs> screw all that noise. <laughs> so, uh, I was kind of into computers and stuff like that. So I, uh, went to community college for, at first <laughs> I actually had two majors. I went to, uh, for computer aided graphics design cause I'm kind of artistic and then that was way too high stress and way too just just way too demanding. I was good at it, but it just wasn't my passion. And then I went into just a general IT degree. And that's when everything started getting outsourced and all that stuff. And so it was like extremely difficult to find a job and especially in Indiana. And then fast forward, I was just kind of lost for a few years and uh, not really knowing what direction my life was going to go into. Luckily, my parents suggested that I pursue some kind of, you know, psychology degree. So Really? They suggested it? Well, they always knew that I, was, I had a passion for it, you know, early on. So, um, and at that point, I was kind of very, very low, and I was like, all right, one last-ish effort. And then, so, I went for my undergrad in psychology and fell in love with it instantly, of course, and... I knew, of course, I wanted to be a practicing therapist. I, technically, I wanted to be a psychologist, so I went through the whole process of applying. Um, shouldn't be called a process so much as a nightmare of <laughs> applying to PhD programs around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was playing World of Warcraft, and I had met a bunch of uh, friends from the West Coast. Got pretty close with them. And uh, one of my friends suggested that, or suggested that there was a uh, a school, or yeah, she said there was a school one of her friends went to, uh, and she said that she thinks that they have a doctoral program. So I looked into it and um, applied for it, got rejected, and <laughs> as Plan B, uh, looked at the CFT program. Hmm. So okay, um, so yeah, right. So your second fiddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I interviewed you, Aaron. Yes, you did. I received your file, and you were in Indiana at the time, and I didn't want to force you to fly out, so we spoke on the phone. And I found you to be a well-spoken, excellent candidate. And after one quarter of you being my advisee and a student, I would say that we chose really well. I can't imagine why anyone would not want you in their program. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, why did you choose couple and family therapy? 
I wanted to, um, even though I, I'm not at this point really interested in seeing families, I want to have the skill set. I want to be able to work with individuals, couples, and families. Yeah. So just broaden my horizon. Yeah. My, yeah. Right. The idea is is that in ma- in masters in the masters universe of therapists, you have social workers, camp- mental health counselors, marriage and family therapists, and marriage and family therapists tend to get a lot more education working with not only individuals but also couples and families, and so they have more of a broad competency. Uh, why do you choose CFT? Again, I wanted to work with couples primarily, uh, married and unmarried, but I also was eventually dream career, I suppose, is working with uh, family systems where uh, the parent, you know, the family is an Indian family. Uh, the parents are immigrants relocating from their homeland uh, to America, and the children are primarily raised here, similar to how I was, and knowing the difficult dynamics that the that happened in that family system I wanted to work on reaching out to the families, which is going to be the most difficult part because Indian families don't, you know, crave therapy. So figuring out an outlet where they'd be comfortable with a therapist of their origin um, and trying to help the children navigate that dynamic, but also helping the parents get comfortable with it. So in your observation of the Indian American culture, not the American Indian culture, (laughs) East Indian American culture that the families might benefit from family therapy, but they often don't choose to go. Yeah. And so maybe by having a familiar face, you're thinking you might be able to help those people. Yeah, and trying to um, get rid of the stigma around therapy within Indian culture. Um, it's viewed as a crutch, something that um, will shame the family in a lot of ways. Um, so people don't seek it out because if it gets found out, then it'll make them look bad in their community. So figuring out a way to um, provide therapy but maybe call it something else or not use those the terms that people – will shy away from the culture. Huh. What word would they use? No idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned you're wanting to become a therapist for basically you and your people, not you specifically, obviously, but the people that you are around. And for me, it was similar. I, I, I forgot about this until you mentioned that, that I'm, you know, I'm a musician and have been in bands you know, throughout my adult life and bread knife internet, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and when I was in my twenties, I th- really was amazed at how being in a band was like being married to the rest of your bandmates, but you don't get to have sex to alleviate the, ten- <laughs> the, well, the, the, could, the tension. Well, oh, you could like Fleetwood Mac, that kind of thing. Um, but then you have breakups and then that totally destroys everything. It's a very intense relationship being advanced. Have you seen that Metallica documentary where they enter therapy? Oh, you, actually, I, I, I should do a podcast about it. There's a whole documentary about how Metallica goes to therapy. Are, didn't they go with their lawyers, lawyers or something like that? Or is I that something remember. totally different? Metallica, probably. So I wanted to become a therapist for bands. I thought, man, I'm going to make a killing because every band has massive dysfunction, believe me. If someone knows what it's like and is in their world, I'm going to make a killing. You know, I'm gonna be, and plus, if, if one famous band hires you for the rest of their career, that's all you, you just need one client, right? It's got to get in. Like, like a lawyer could have one client, right? And uh, I've, I've yet to have a band knock on my door. And, and where do you advertise for that? Like, are there band trade magazines? Posters at their concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeling sad. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I'm really interested in your first quarter in, in graduate school. I'm really interested to hear what your experience is like and what your experience was like in my class. So, and for the record, I'm 100% open to negative feedback. Um, I'm really purely disinterested in what it's like. He's a jerk. Run for your lives. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be you along those lines. Uh, so what was your first quarter like and what was, your like, what was it like in Family of Origin? Uh, I thought it was amazing. It was extremely transformative. It was humbling, uh, humanizing, um, stressful. Um, I remember one exercise we had where I think it was something to do with uh, uh, finding out where love comes from in your family. And it was, I was in my apartment. My, my apartment has a, uh, uh, a Wi-Fi lounge. And I was there at one o'clock in the morning, crying my eyes out, <laughs> filling out this this exercise. And I'm like, I just know at any moment there's going to be just a ton of people walk by <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning for some reason and just point point and laugh. But it was it was ridiculous. And it's just just the class itself is weird. What other class are you put in with a bunch of strangers and before you've memorized their names, say, oh, by the way, here's all my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> uh, I guess prepare to be vulnerable. Um, but it's totally a – it's an amazing, safe environment to be in and that uh, very much facilitates being vulnerable. Yeah, I should explain a little bit of background. I think you say it beautifully from your experience, that in the first quarter at Antioch in the master's program, all the mental health counselors and the marriage and family therapists, they all take a class called Family of Origin Systems that was designed by Paul David, who is chair of the CFT program and has been on this podcast. He designed the, the, the class years ago, and it's a class that is designed to teach students about family of origin theories but also to apply it to yourself with the expectation or the hope that you will discover things about yourself because as a therapist, we're supposed to know about ourselves and know what our vulnerabilities are because when we're working with clients, those things will be touched upon and will be a part of the therapeutic relationship with our, with our clients. And so uh, it's very experiential. And, and there's, it's, it's basically the, the entire quarter is basically designed to get you to analyze yourself every single week. And there's assignments every week that focus on that, and the, and the papers are designed around that. And, but it's all theory-based, and you're supposed to be learning about theory along the way, which you definitely do. And so one of the assignments that I designed was is centered on how closeness and love is communicated in the family because – so often we talk about the negative sides of, of our family of origin, how dysfunction played out. And I thought that it's equally important to talk about how love is communicated. However, if there's a lot of sadness connected to the recollection of love and closeness in our childhood, there, that might also be another assignment yeah, that, yeah. that might not feel so great. Right. Yeah. And I really appreciate and commend you, Aaron, for being vulnerable not only were you vulnerable in your assignments, but in class as well. You know, uh, it it it's interesting to be witness to it. First couple 
class meetings, everyone's totally freaked out and, right. and anxious, <laughs> and no one knows what's happening. And by week five, six, I started to see everyone start to relax. And then by the end of the quarter, it's like we're all it, one big yeah, family. Yeah, family, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was your experience like in, in the first quarter? Uh, similar to a lot of what Aaron said, um, you definitely do feel very vulnerable within the classroom. Um, I had never been to therapy before starting the program, and I started therapy the same time as I started the program. So it was actually um, within the class, I was pretty reserved um, in terms of sharing um, two sharing things that were too deep. And then I would go to therapy a couple days later and then have an outpouring of what was discussed in class. So um, it definitely put me in a different state than I've ever been in. Um, it helped being to, it helped to learn about the, the theories of, of, of family systems and then know that I'm finally getting language to put around everything I've experienced in my life, which was pretty powerful. Um, and unlike um, what some of the other classmates um, went through within the program, I didn't have a lot of things to draw back on because of how not secretive, how um, preserved my family is because we don't talk about a lot of issues that come up in our lives. It just kind of gets brushed under the table. So whereas some people were writing from a place of sadness, maybe um, a lot of emotion from that side, I was writing from a place of anger often for not knowing all these things. So it led to very different experience. Um, but it leads me to wanting to explore more about my family and getting them to talk about issues that have come up and getting them to talk about their childhood. So um, it was a very revealing class in terms of my personal life and having to put thought around certain aspects. Yeah. I mean, for the record, I took the class 17 years ago from Paul David and went through all the things that you went through. Just, <laughs> right, just, right. just to let you know, <laughs> we've all paid our dues. Yeah. One thing I, I really enjoyed about the class is because of the, the topics you talk about with your classmates, you really become closer to your classmates and some of your friends in a very different way. So there are friends that I've had for a long time that don't know the things I've things about my life that I've discussed with Aaron, for instance. And it, it creates a very different relationship and a very powerful relationship in a different manner. Not to say that those friendships weren't meaningful because they certainly were, but it creates an entirely different form of relationship. Right. You guys were consultants is what we call them, where everyone pairs up in the, in the class and every week there are assignments that you fill out prior to the class and discuss it with each other in detail for, you know, 20 minutes or so. And you're telling a lot of, you know, detailed personal information to each other. And, and I love I love the way you uh, had us choose, too. That was just yeah. so lovely. <laughs> what did I do? I forgot. So, it was like the, the 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 week the week you described it. You were like, yeah, your your consultant's going to be you know a possible friend for life, and you're going to be sharing all these vulnerable things about yeah. each other, and you're just blowing our minds. Like, wow, this is going to be freaking huge. So huge decision, yeah, just this, this life changing, <laughs> altering decision with another human being. And the next week we come in class, and like I don't even think we've sat, we've sat down yet. And he's like, all right, choose your uh, choose your consultant. And I, I can't remember who said, but you were like, you were like, someone spoke up. They go, you mean uh, the person that we're supposed to, that we may like share our lives with and stuff, <laughs> like be friends forever? He goes, yeah, that one. <laughs> so then it's like scrambling, trying to find someone all of a sudden. So how'd you choose each other? <laughs> I was just saying, should we share the story? We actually, uh, we'll leave out names, but um, the two of us were sitting with one Maybe person. Maybe we should like apologize on that. <laughs> we were sitting with someone between us and... 
neither of us, I don't know if we, did, if we didn't want to partner with them. But I, before before that class, I already had picked out three people in class that I wanted to choose as consultants. I was like, these are people I have to figure out how I'm going to like choose them. And we're sitting there, and Aaron is one spot away from me. And there's someone who will go nameless. Let's call him Bob. Um, we're Bob, sorry, Bob. Or, or Bobette, if it's a, it's a woman. Sorry, um, <laughs> Sitting between us. And, you know, Kirk says, pick your partner. And I look <laughs> past this individual towards Aaron. At the exact same time, I look past this individual. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you want to partner up and just ignore the person? <laughs> I felt so bad. I felt yeah. like such a dick. Yeah. And it was no reflection on this person. No, they're great. Uh, I yeah. Mean, they felt the rest of the class. I was like, oh, this person's really cool. They're interesting. I was like, oh, I've kind of felt like a, a jerk for skipping over them entirely, <laughs> looking through them at the next person. To, to the only way them. it could have been like more rude was to put our hand on his face <laughs> and just push him back. It was so bad. <laughs> right so h- how was your relationship over the quarter what was it like <laughs> i thought it was great yeah yeah i really liked um because coming from indiana it's a very uh homogeneous group you know all white all conservative so harry was kind of my link into a different culture mm. and it was like you know it blew my mind like some of the stuff he said um i think we hit it off right you know right at the get-go um but and and it was good also because I don't necessarily have quality relationships with men, and so to have another man to have this good this good uh, relationship with it it reinforced my positive internalized <laughs> re- representations. Very good. <laughs> you've, you've learned well. <laughs> what about you, Harry? Yeah, I mean, it was the same thing. It was actually interesting that Aaron mentioned uh, having uh, a different relationship with another man because I've been talking to my therapist about how most of the positive relationships in my wife have in my wife in my life have been with women. Um, I was raised primarily by a lot of women. My father was, you know, working a lot of the time, so I didn't see him. And most of the the people that were raising me were, you know, my mom, her sisters, aunts, grandmothers. So. Um, I didn't really have a lot of positive relationships either. Not that they were mostly negative, but it was mostly lots of relationships with, with women. Um, so that's what I've been accustomed to. And when we were choosing consultants, you know, Aaron was on my list of one of the people, but the other two were women because that, that's what I was drawn to and that's what I was comfortable with. Um, so it probably helped that I didn't end up partnering with a woman just so I could experience a different relationship with another guy. So it was it was enlightening in that same manner. And since we had talked informally, you know, before that class, while we were hanging out waiting for the class to begin, it was just another person that I already had a level of comfort with. So, um, it helped. And then, like I said, in, in the last class that Kirk, um, taught, we had to write why we appreciate our consultant. And one of the things I talked about was how I've shared things with Aaron that not even I've shared with my wife, which is pretty powerful. But then again, my wife doesn't ask me like, so, you know, what, how was love represented in your childhood? So it's a different thing, but it's still interesting that you share more with a person from this class than you may have with other people in your current life. So you mentioned your therapist. I'm always curious what therapists think about their clients in my class, because I always wonder, like, are they upset that I'm pushing them too far or are they happy that they're doing assignments that are so therapeutic i don't know what what are your what did your did your therapist say anything um well my therapist also went to antioch and graduated from the program although i think like 10 years ago as did mine um so she uh, went to the program when it was a, a combined program and it wasn't separated between couple and family therapy and mental health counseling um so she is actually excited that i'm going through the program and um she when when she was doing the program she also went and saw a therapist at the same time and she thought it was you know very beneficial in terms of understanding yourself in the context of 
what you are in this program. And she didn't think I was being pushed too hard. She actually tries to push me harder in our therapy sessions in terms of when there's an issue that I obviously have feelings about that I don't want to discuss. She is a type of therapist that kind of pushes me as far as she can without, you know, breaking my, my psyche down or anything like that. <laughs> Damn pushy um, therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, you know, she likes um, using um, therapy techniques where I'm experiencing the emotions that I'm trying to deny um, looking back and seeing how I felt in certain situations in my childhood. Um, so she has been doing a great job and she has helped me with my food paper and, and the way of trying to put it into context and talk about certain things that I may not have wanted to. Um, so she pushed me a lot to try to open up more um, within my written assignments. And I think I would have, would have, if I didn't have a therapist that also went through a similar experience. I mean, I was lucky that she went to Antioch. So she knew what the experience was like, um, but she was really pushing me to open up as much as I could in my papers and not try to be reserved, but really put myself out there. Yeah. I, we should say that when we say foo, that stands for F O O or family of origin, which is the class that, that I teach. Was she one of my students? No, she didn't know who you were. Oh, okay. Yeah, she remembers Paul. Do you want to tell her name? I might not include uh, it. Her but... name is Adrienne Robinson. Uh, so Adrienne Robinson is an excellent therapist in Seattle. That's what you're she saying. She is, yeah. She's located up in Capitol Hill. What about you and your therapist? Very similar story. She was, uh, she does, uh, my therapist does remember you. And it was funny that uh, after you, because a couple times you um, came into the class and said that you know we're the best class ever and all that stuff so i went and told my therapist she goes well that makes me feel great <laughs> I was in- <laughs> <laughs> right i was saying that you guys were one of the best classes i've ever taught if not the best it- and and I don't know if I just think that every time, but I th- <laughs> that's I, my, that's my theory. I'm like that's what you say to all the class. I don't know, man. You you guys seem like a really incredible group. Everyone, you know, did really well. Uh, I didn't have any problems with any. It, it might just be a matter of none of you were problems. Mm. Like there, you could have another class with with you know 15 of you guys and one problem student, right, right. and I will remember that class for that one student. <laughs> there was no one in your class that was a problem, yeah. you know, and so maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so your therapist. Yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing, and I just love the fact that um, she can totally relate. She's yeah. been through it all, and, you know, Jennifer Kessler, everybody, Jennifer Kessler. Okay. She said you were a teaching assistant, I think, with Paul David when she went through it. Really? Yeah. I was a teaching assistant for one year from 97, 98. So does that sound about right? Uh, we didn't discuss dates. Okay. But yeah. What, what was it like working with the 14 other students? Uh, what'd you learn? I thought we had an amazing class. Yeah. Because I know other people that are in like the other programs, you know, we kind of like within CFT and art therapy and all that stuff. And some, most are amazing. Others are less than amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Students, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> but we just seem to have a really good batch. Mm-hmm. And I've become very close with, you know, a lot of them, uh, except for those damn window people that no one ever talks to. Yeah, I'll say. So we were in a classroom that had a, a bank of windows on one side. And I would sometimes split the class into two groups for various reasons. And. So randomly, I just said team window and team wall. And it seemed to actually kind of produce a, a loyalty <laughs> and an anti-other <laughs> Well, no. Well, it, I'm not against the other at all. It was also, whatsoever. I think, the personalities that just happened to sit in the right spots. People that were towards the wall were always 
did a lot more speaking in class. Yeah, it's almost like the, the quiet people sat yeah. at the window. That's I mean, I, there were similar to what Aaron said. I have developed close relationships with a lot of the, the classmates, especially the ones that worked together on our papers and like study groups. Um, but there are some great stories from um, the limited sharing on the other side of the room that it would have been great to get to know them better. But yeah, tell me about it. I mean, I read the papers and the assignments, and everyone was just all in the same boat. Yeah, you know, amazingly. And yeah, you might not ever hear one person talk, and but to take it from me, they're they're doing a lot. They're doing the same work you guys are doing. Yeah, it might just might not seem like they are. And and just for the record, one of the things that I will often say, and I know I said it with you guys, is that I'm the sort of professor that doesn't require people to talk in class. And a lot of professors will do this. They'll say, like, that person was too quiet. Well, I'm a quiet person in class. And people might be surprised by that. But if I'm in a group of people, like 10, 20 people, I just feel like I'd rather just keep it to myself or... I feel like if I open my my mouth, it's likely to come out wrong, and I just <laughs> or someone else is saying what I am thinking, and I think, well, they just said it, so why should I? I don't know. I, on, I I on the other hand am the loud mouth of the class. You're you're, <laughs> you're yeah, that's funny. You know, by the end of the quarter. Um, so anyway, getting back to my point was that <laughs> I will say to people, you don't have to talk, and so I think some shy people just say, great, so I'm never going to talk, and I'm totally cool with that. Um, but anyway, getting back to you, Aaron, I noticed by the end of the quarter, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be the first person to raise my no, hand. No, I totally – like for most most of the quarter, I was – because I'm always raising my hand. And I, I do it not only because I have something I think interesting to say, but to maybe like grease the wheels and get people talking, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'll raise my hand like tentatively, but like if someone else raised it at the same time, I'm like, oh, no, you yeah. – Get, yeah, them, yeah, yeah. get them to talk. Get to them right, talk. right, right. But what is so funny is that a couple times, no one was like raising their hands at all. So I was just waiting, and they're like no one was just raising, no one raises their hands. And so Harry just goes, just elbows me, <laughs> <laughs> just goes, he goes, just like I know you have something to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know sometimes I'll just call on people, uh, just just for fun, um, but uh, but usually. If there are, yeah, four or five, six different talkative people, then I'm cool with that. And as long as the shy people are cool with being shy and the talkative people yeah. are cool with being talkative, then whatevs. I, I don't really care. I'll tell you, there's, there's sometimes when it can be a problem, and Aaron, you're not an example of this, is when someone dominates. Right. See, you're, you, you were thinking about how other people were feeling. You're thinking, well, if no one else is going to talk, yeah. I'll, I'll talk, but... If someone else is going to talk, then by all means, you know, I've talked enough. You say something, Absolutely. please. Yeah, but there are some people that don't think that way. It's like it's me, 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 me. It's all about me, and that can be disruptive. But that's pretty rare, I would say. I That happens one in every 200 students or something like that. It's pretty rare that someone's like that. But I would think that like for like future students who may be shy, that I think that they're um – in a sense, kind of robbing themselves of a big part, a part of, of the experience of the experience. Yeah. By sharing and being vulnerable and all that stuff. Well, what was it like to share with, with the group by the end of the quarter? You Kirk were... made me cry. <laughs> 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 right. Well, it was, this, it was this moment where things were pretty emotional oh, in man. the class and, and there was a lot of, there were a lot of tears and I, I was crying incidentally. I don't know. Did you notice I was crying? Uh-uh. Oh, I, when I, I saw te- a little bit of red in your eyes, but yeah, when I tear up and I'm, and and I'm trying to not lose it. Um, I know I'm tearing up, but 
I always wonder, do other people say you're saying you didn't really notice? But I was. And well, if, I, I couldn't see through all the tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and if I went with it, I would have just been like, you know, just sobbing. But there was this moment in class where I was asking if anyone else had anything to say. And, and I totally – let's just set this story up because it's hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I was actually kind of like double primed for this because the day before in therapy, I kind of had a little, ba- a little bit of big breakthrough and you know experienced some emotions, cried and stuff, which is great. And so I was a little bit kind of like exposed and vulnerable going into it. And then we had another person in class uh, go through an experiential exercise that was extremely powerful. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. And that was the double prime. Right. I'll just describe that a little bit while we're on the topic is I demonstrated what family sculpting was like with a student. And in the exercise, she gets people in the room to be members of her family. And she stands up in the middle of the room and she sculpts this family representation. She puts people in statue stances that represent that family member. So, for instance, her... Her parents were on the couch and they were facing away from each other and she was on the couch trying to link the two of them. I don't know if this is making sense to people in podcast <laughs> Sounds good. But essentially it put her into this space of really re- experientially remembering what it was like emotionally to be a child, I think seven years old, in her family in, on that particular day in that moment. That was a very traumatic moment for her. And we processed it for a long time, and she was incredibly brave, and she was doing a lot of really good work. And I thought that – I thought, man, all the other students are really benefiting from this because you really get to see what this could do for somebody, you know. And, and uh, yeah, so then that happened, and then – We were doing the – it was – what was it? A mental uh, empty chair empty exercise? Chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, where we were to um, – visualize someone we kind of had unfinished business with yeah and wanted to wanted uh needed to say something to and so um i go through i took it i took it very seriously and i was very surprised at how powerful it was i was blown away actually and uh i start crying you know we had our eyes closed and was visualizing this empty chair scenario so i i asked the students to close their eyes and imagine someone who whoever they wanted to they would imagine that person in a chair sitting right across from them, and then they could say whatever they want to. The student could say whatever they want to to this imaginary person or this real person that they're imagining to be in the chair across from them. And I don't know what anyone is imagining. Right. I'm just walking everyone through this exercise. You know? So it was, yeah, it was really, uh, it was really powerful, and I was already crying before I had my eyes closed or uh, opened. And so the end of the exercise was you open your eyes and then write down kind of the conversation or things you you wanted to say. And as soon as I opened my eyes, Kirk had a laser guided uh, (laughs) – his eyeballs were just like honed right in on me. And we both kind of smiled at each other. And I'm like, son of a bitch. He's going to go on me. (laughs) So – uh, so he goes around the room and he's being very nonchalant and, you know, asking everyone to share what they had and people shared and it was great. And the whole time, like I just have just this laser focus on Kirk's unconscious and it's going, I'm totally going to call an Aaron. I'm totally going to call an Aaron. <laughs> and then, so everybody, uh, everybody kind of, um, there was kind of a, a, uh, 
a, a lull in people raising their hands. And Kirk just gives me this raised eyebrow look with half a smirk that I will never forget <laughs> the day I die. <laughs> and he just kind of lifts his head, you know, like, huh? Huh? You want a chair? You want a chair? And I'm like, damn it. I knew you were going to come on me. So by, by then, I had no defenses left, you know, and I just, yeah, I just went <laughs> went ballistic yeah yeah and kind of just was completely vulnerable and apparently blew everyone's mind because afterwards like people were hugging me and holding my hand and everyone was amazing wow. I, was, I was getting hugged on the street and texts <laughs> later at night and wow. texts in the morning and messages and just all kinds of stuff so wow. I didn't know that. It's really yeah, cool. yeah. It was so awesome. Sweet. It was amazing. Huh. I called Kirk a dick. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm on my way out of class, and we're all kind of on this high from yeah. having this really moving experience for the past two hours or something. And I wanted to reach out to Aaron, and so I walked up to him and put my hand on his shoulder. And I, I don't know if I said anything. I just said, like, Yeah, you did. Yeah, I just said <laughs> And um, I turn around and I'm I'm walking out the door and you're like you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, some of the other students are like, <gasps> and I knew what you meant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, we, you're a snarky person. Right. I, I knew exactly what you meant, and I I know you, and we have a good relationship, yeah. so I knew what it meant. And so, but then afterwards, you texted me and you're like. <laughs> By the way, when I said you're a dick, um, <laughs> I meant in a loving way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, which is something I would have done too. I would have been like, "Oh God, I hope he didn't take that." Off. I'll text right. him. Um, so, so yeah, it was quite a moving moment. What was your experience of that of that night? It was pretty intense. Um, he, as, I, a, as a preface to that, like I totally. Like as soon as I broke down, I instantly see Harry's tighten up. <laughs> he just does one of the, just a stiff back, and I'm like, yeah, I just freaked Harry. Out. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things um, we talked about in our very first class is if someone displays extreme emotion that I am not prepared for, it like puts me into this defensive state. <laughs> and he was at ground um, zero, <laughs> and I was sitting right next to Aaron after he was, you know, blubbering all over everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so I would like when the class was over, I had to just get up and leave. Like I was, Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I just, I literally got up, didn't say a word to anyone. I just left. Oh, interesting. So was it distressing for you? It was in a, in a couple different ways. So when, when the student was going through the, uh, exercise that Kirk demonstrated, I, I was really into it. It was very emotional, but I didn't feel moved to emotion. Mm. So, you know, there wasn't any like watery eyes. I didn't feel like how everyone else in the class was feeling essentially, mm. um, you know, visually. So, it was great. I mean, I loved the exercise and the the empty chair exercise that I did. Um, I chose my mom and I did it. And it was emotional writing everything down, but I still wasn't moved to emotion. If I had spoken, I probably would have been the same as same as Aaron would have mm. um, or did. Um, and then he started and I didn't expect him to cry because he, Cause he, he never – well, he, he one, he's a huge guy um, <laughs> and he's like intimidating. But um, throughout all the, the sharing that we had done one-on-one -on -one in the class, he never got to a point where he seemed to be moved to emotion. So it kind of came out of nowhere that I wasn't expecting it. So I really, it really surprised me. I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with these feelings. Let me get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aaron's feelings were, I mean, there had been emotion, but I think your emotion in that moment was. It was just raw, was unmitigated. Level. Yeah. Yeah, it was a whole yeah. other level of, of vulnerability. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of sadness, really. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when we were doing the exercise, student A, because I don't want to know. 
I don't know if you can say her name, but um, she was still very composed, even though there were tears and there was emotion. It was a very like held together emotion. Right. Whereas with Aaron, it was just like all out there. Right. And it can be anxiety provoking. And as a professor, I mean, as a therapist, I've gotten very used to that, you know, it, but I wasn't used to it in the beginning, for sure. In our culture, we're not used to people breaking down. Yeah. Right? I know. And when people do, we're not usually in control of it or we're not usually so close to it. We see it from afar or something or we just go there, there, or we go, it'll be okay or stop it, you know? So it's, it's a very unusual situation really. Yeah. But it's, it's just as non-threatening as any other emotion I've come to learn as a professor. It took me longer to get used to it, but it's the same thing. We just have to have, trust that someone's having an emotional experience and the primary thing that they're that they're going to be negatively affected by is if we shame them right <laughs> yeah know? absolutely and so all we have to do is not shame them which is easy to do yeah and everything will be okay you know like we just have to not laugh at them which is easy to do yeah and we there's we don't have to say the right thing we don't have to do the right thing there's there's very little to worry about you know but that's I'm guessing what that distress was. It's like, oh crap! How do I respond to this? What am What am I supposed to do with it? Was that part of the anxiety? It was part of it, but you know, thinking about it, it's also kind of, um, I guess, an, an invisible loyalty to my father, mm. where we don't in Indian culture, men don't cry. Mm. So when, as a child, if I got to the point of crying, my dad would just either tell me to stop or he would just get up and leave. Mm. So when people around me are crying, it's very either I need to make them stop tell them to stop or just remove myself from the situation. So mm. instead of like confronting the emotion or dealing with it. And I brought it up to my therapist who I met the next day for an appointment that one of the things that I had difficulty processing was everyone was moved to these emotions and I wasn't. So I was like, why is that not happening to me? She call you a robot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she hinted at it, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, through talking with her, I was like, it's, it, you know, it could be a good thing that I'm not moved to emotion because it allows me to keep composure in a different way yeah. with a client potentially where I'm not taking on their emotions and responding from that kind of state. Yeah. Well, my own path with crying was that I cried normally as a child in, in grade school. And then I remember just figuring out around age 10 that boys don't cry, right. men don't cry. And I, I'll, I'll never forget, there was this, we were playing baseball and in, in, in recess, like with the girls and the boys and everything. This guy goes up to bat and I'm next in line to go up to bat. And he wasn't a baseball player and I'm just watching him and he's, you know, he's trying his best and he gets a hit and he's so excited that he throws the bat he just, you know, there's a way of just yeah. dropping the bat right, yeah. or just kind of chucking it to the side and running. But he throws it, okay, and runs to first base. It's it's like slow motion going in the air in this like, you know, this this revolving bat flying at me and it hits me right in the knees. Oh man! And I don't think it hurt because my adrenaline or something. It was just the the fear of it, and I just started bawling. And I'm in the fifth. I remember fifth grade, like probably like a May or June afternoon and i'm crying and all the girls come running up to me and they're like oh are you okay and i go off onto the grassy knoll and i'm kind of trying to calm down and i'm crying and all i can think about is boys don't cry what am i doing like yeah. i'm crying in front of everyone yeah. like what is wrong with me and so after that point 
I decided whenever I thought about crying, I would get angry. I remember this. I remember going, I remember actually like clenching, clenching my fists and like making this angry face (laughs) and the, and the tears wouldn't, wouldn't happen. They would. And so from the age of like, I don't know, like 12 until 25, I probably cried maybe twice, like barely. And then it took a long, and then as I became a therapist, I, and going to therapy myself, I started figuring out like, Oh, I, I have to learn how to cry again. Yeah. And, yeah. and so as the urge to cry would come on, I wouldn't get angry, and I would encourage it to happen. And then now I'm a crying mess. Like I, <laughs> just in us talking about Aaron crying, I started crying a little bit. And so I cry at, at, in movies, yep. at weddings, yep. at, in therapy, uh, with my clients, with my students, uh, commercials. A good AT&T commercial will make me cry. Uh, so uh, uh, there was this... Uh, you know, YouTube videos about cats. Anyway. <laughs> so, so now it's the, the floodgates are open and yeah. I'm crying all the time. And I, th- I think it really speaks to the, uh, little mini culture that's created in, in family of origin class that I, for me personally, that I felt comfortable enough to share that level of emotion with everybody around me and not mm-hmm. feel like I would be judged at all. I mean, that's huge, mm-hmm. especially because there is that social construction that guys don't cry. You got to be a man. You got to be this, got to be that. Got to impress the ladies and all that stuff. Tell me about that. I'm, I'm curious from your side of things, what it felt like in terms of safety, because obviously you didn't feel safe in the beginning. Just building the relationships. Like we've had like numerous study groups, foo groups, as we call them, and uh, just hanging out, you know, studying plus wine equals friendship. <laughs> <laughs> as, as it turns out, therapist types are raging alcoholics, yeah. so be prepared for that. <laughs> sure. And uh, reading each other's papers, yeah, knowing that there is a comfort in here's my life, read about it. I'm not holding back. Yeah. Um, again, helped create that relationship and that level of comfort where it was like I'm, you know, this person is reading my family of origin story and I'm reading theirs, and they're they're not going to judge me, and I'm not going to judge them. So it created this very respectful relationship. Absolutely. So you guys independently started a study group? Yeah. Alicia sent out the first email saying, I'm going to host a study group. Like five of us went. Yeah. And then Aaron did another one for the second paper where like seven seven or eight of us went. And then there was like just this stream of just, hey, let's get together and drink lots of wine. and Like tonight, isn't there a party at your place, Harry? Yeah. There is. Yep. Yeah, and I'm bringing wine. So. <laughs> I'm curious, Eric, how was it like for you in terms of safety? It was very difficult at the beginning because um, one of the things I talked about in my family board paper is my um, inability to trust other people. Mm. Initially, it was very difficult to open up, but again, speaking with my therapist, you know, she encouraged me to take a chance. One of the things that helped also was within conversations with people that have come into our program from my admissions role who have transferred from other universities, one of the things they've talked about since coming to Antioch's either CFT or clinical mental health counseling programs is that the students that are in the courses look at everything from a much mature mature perspective where they're not just there to get a grade, they're not there to goof off and and make friends, that they're there to move themselves forward in their in their professional development and their personal development. So the fact that everyone else was taking everything so seriously, yet with a bit of a lighthearted aspect because of the gravity of the, the emotions that come tied to everything, it helped me just feel more comfortable and say, these are people here that are going to not judge me because we're all at a much mature level. Yeah, we're all kind of on an equal plane. You know? Yeah, and it's like- even despite the, the variety of ages, I mean – 
one of the girls, I think, is like 22 or 23, just a couple of years moved from her undergrad, and someone else is much older. So that age range, just call also, me <laughs> that age range also helps make it a bit more comfortable, unique situation. So the fact that people weren't going to judge me, it, it was it made it a little bit more comfortable to share things until it got to the point where people were reading about my life and I just didn't care. Yeah, and I've seen a change in you. I think you've oh, been good. more open. When Aaron broke down and cried, um, one of the things that I had trouble with was figuring out how to let him know that it affected me, but in a good way. Because we kind of walked out at the same time, and I just, yeah. like, with baggy, swelled eyes, I go, well, that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and it just saw me bolt out the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the class, because it was at the very, like, end of the class, so yeah. the class just kind of ended. Yeah, yeah which, which, by the way, I think that's one thing you should change for next time. Because <laughs> okay. it was, like, all this emotion that everyone had, and then Kirk's like, all right, guys, see you next week. <laughs> I don't know what can be done to, like, diffuse the... We need like wait five minutes of closure or just hugs or something. Okay. <laughs> du- duly noted. <laughs> but it was funny. <laughs> Anything else along those lines that you want things to be different? So it's good to have that one constant consultant. Yeah. But it also was really interesting and, and empowering at the study groups when we got to talk to other people about their lives. Mm-hmm. So if there's a, a forum to not switch consultants permanently, but you know, to switch around or have groups of three people instead of two. Interesting. Um, just more exercises or something yeah. like that. Then, yeah. Um, because, you know, talking with Aaron, I was able to, we were able to go back and forth about making sure we understood the concepts that we're learning about when we were talking about our lives. But, you know, there were still things I was unsure about to so talking with other people helped kind of reinforce that I was on the right track um, to learning everything. And it just, it added more of an experience to the class and to the family feel of the class because we got to experience these relationships with other people that were also very deep. And I think, I think along those lines, just reaching out like for future students, yeah. uh, just reaching out to like those fellow students and getting in a study group and, you know, having a drink and all that stuff. It's, it's so rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah. so rewarding. And it was, it was great because, you know, we got valuable feedback on our papers, but then we also just talked informally about each other. Except for the lives. last paper. <clears throat> for the record, I, I have corrected <laughs> Harry's last paper, but not Aaron's. <laughs> I keep telling everybody that you've lined the bottom of your uh, cat's litter box. (laughs) (laughs) It absorbs well. Thank you. And it has a deodorant quality to it. Well, I'm curious about what it was like in class for you. Any, any other experiences you want to talk about? I think for me, like this first quarter in general, but specifically this class shattered a lot of, What's the word? Pre was it preconceptions? Yeah, that I had going into just graduate school in general. I had it in my mind. I think it was because I was applying the PhD programs that it's just, it's going to be just cutthroat, very um, competitive. That everybody was going to be smarter than me. Yeah, just a very negative environment, I guess. Mm. And it could not be farther from the truth. Um, it's not competitive whatsoever. In fact, it's the opposite. It's supportive. Everybody supports each other. Right. One of the things that I talk about a couple times that I did talk, you know, with you guys about was that you're not in competition with each other. You know, I really wanted to stress that and that you were all in this together. And I'm a colleague as well as you're a professor. You're becoming a therapist, and we're going to be working together. You know, we're all in the field together. And we're all here to make a difference in the world, to make it a better place. Why would we compete in right. that? Say, say, one, say somebody is not as good a therapist as someone else. Well, 
so what? They're still doing good in the world. They're yeah. still wanting to make the world a better place. Why would we want to point out that they're lesser? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The model of the program, the couple and family therapy program, as well as the other programs at Antioch, is that it's competency-based. So if everyone gets competent, then everyone is labeled competent. It's not based on grades or based on performance. It's based on getting you to that level of competence, which makes more sense than just getting getting a grade. Although, like, there are no grades, but I've never read so much into a check mark or the word good in my entire life. Like, Harry, Harry and I would just have this little competition. Like, both of us would get good. And he's like, well, mine's written bigger, so it's obvious that – or like one of us would get like excellent or something yeah, like that. And one of my like, papers, I'm excellent, and both Aaron and Byron were next to me like – why is yours excellent? I'm just better than you guys, I guess. And then, and then one, one time I got like, you know, super fabulous, ultra cool. And uh, Harry didn't get anything because I, I yeah. think he just forgot to read his paper or something like that. I did. And, he was, and Harry was like, maybe it was just so awesome that words couldn't describe how amazing it was. <laughs> yeah, I, that was one week where you were the only person I forgot to read the assignment, and I just handed it back to you, and you and you were like, "How come there's nothing?" There? And I was like, "Oh man!" I, I was, and of course, I was like, "Because he hates you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So, hmm, so even though, right. Uh, so maybe you need like a smiley face stamp or something that's exactly the same all the time. And yeah. Like, nobody can read well, it. Well, that's what I was saying. I, I mean, I told you guys, I tried to make everyone's check the same. <laughs> you know, I think I, I told you guys that with one person in my, in my check mark to basically say, good job, I accidentally just drew a line. It was a straight line. And I was like, oh, crap. It's a big minus. Yeah, that's a big minus. And so now I have to add that little, that little check bit, but it's not going to look quite correct quite right and is the student going to feel bad about themselves what am i going to do <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> right i mean we can't get out of that model that construction that no. somehow we're trying to perform we're trying to achieve the a or because you probably all came from school backgrounds where you did really well yeah and you were known for getting good grades and so you, we bring all that legacy into graduate school for therapy and it takes a while to to sort of shed that and i really try to emphasize that that say someone did perform not so great in class that doesn't mean that they're not going to be a good therapist it doesn't mean that they're not going to do good in the world it just meant they didn't do that great in my class and i wasn't very impressed with their academic work might i be very impressed with their clinical work absolutely so you know in schools we have to do something to evaluate your academic performance but it's not necessarily correlated with your abilities as a therapist. For instance, there are some people in the class that I thought were doing tremendous work and learning quite a bit, but when it came time to actually write a paper about it, they weren't as adept as other people were. They weren't as competent writers as other people were. And so I have to evaluate those papers and give them feedback along those lines. And but does that make them not as good of a therapist potentially? No, absolutely not. So it's it's a it's it, it, I I say that all the time in class, but I feel like I'm only halfway getting through to people to some extent, you know? Yeah. Because there's still anxiety, I'm guessing, on your part of like, oh god, I wonder. Oh what, god, yeah. I wonder what Kirk's going to think of me. And, and that's that. and that's another like just the, just the anxiety, just the insecurity that everybody feels just being in grad school is huge. Yeah. And and I like that uh, you've addressed that multiple times. 
It doesn't help at all, but <laughs> <laughs> but just know, like for future students, just know that you're going to feel insecure, and that that's okay, mm-hmm. and that um, you're going to be in a supportive environment. Yeah, that's my PSA. Well, what other advice do you have for future students coming to Antioch? Study groups, lots of wine. Um, just know yourself as far as how far you can push yourself. Um, we were talking about self-care and all that stuff. It's, it's really important. Get a therapist, let it all out, get your eight hours, your eight hours, eight hours of sleep. As you've used, as, as you have said, you know, our job is going to be sitting down in a chair for eight plus hours a day, you know, just listening to yeah. people. So, and if we're yawning and taking naps, it's not going to really help. Right. Much. Right. When you're a Microsofty and you're yawning in front of your spreadsheets, it's not a big deal. It doesn't deal. matter. No. But when you're a therapist and you're tired, it's disastrous. Not only is it just very difficult to deal with as a therapist, but the client knows. You, you know, you're you're there to talk and and you don't want your therapist going <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, am I boring you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so, okay, so your advice is study groups, get your eight hours, self-care, notice your insecurity, but don't beat yourself up about it. Don't try to take it seriously. What do you, what do you say here? And my advice would be to go out on a limb. I mean, like so many people in the class already did in terms of sharing things that they wouldn't share. Um, going out on a limb and fostering relationships with your peers in the classroom. Um, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning of the class, these are people that potentially will be our peers in the field once we all leave the program and become therapists. So. Um, it's good to have those relationships started early so you kind of grow together and help support each other through the program. Um, the support in our class was was huge, and I think it's it's important that you take the step yourself to support other people within the class. There are specific moments when um, reading each other's papers, there were clearly people that had papers that weren't as well-written as others. And instead of reading it and just saying, oh, it's great and not caring about it and worrying about yourself, you know, Aaron specifically made an effort saying like, you know, you guys, we need to help this person with this paper because it's not to the level it needs to be. So, you know, that may not happen in other fields or in other universities where you want to make sure that your paper is good, but not the other person's. Yeah, it's that right? competition. Yeah. Um, and that specifically spoke to an instance where I was walking around campus and I, was, I talked to another student from another food class um, who had mentioned that someone had dropped out of their class the day one of their papers was due because she just didn't feel like her paper was good. And he didn't make anything of it, and I really encouraged him. I was like, you need to – and she happened to be his consultant too, and he wasn't like really moved by it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you need to call her yeah. and get in touch with her and tell her to you know, either come back to class or figure out what's wrong and support her in that way. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it for a while, and then I saw him about a week later, and I was like, you know, did you talk to her? And what's going on? He was like, yeah, I talked to her, and she was going through some other, other personal issues that caused her to kind of lose sight of the paper. And he talked to her, and luckily she was able to withdraw from the class without having a, too much of a financial hit and not getting incomplete. incomplete. And she's back and enrolled in it again the next quarter. So she's going to be coming back. So it was like, you know, it's good that she was supported, but what if, you know, he hadn't said anything? Mm-hmm. I could have just been someone who left the program and didn't come back to it. But mm-hmm. that this person felt supported because someone reached out to him. I think that's important within any environment, but specifically within grad school, where the weight of the work you're doing is so intense, especially Absolutely. within this program. Um, that you need that support, and someone needs to, you know, step out on a limb and offer that that hand of support. Hmm. So, are you saying that you can't imagine a student in our class having that experience? Oh yeah, I can't imagine someone in our class being driven to the point of potentially dropping out of the out of the program without someone else in the class, even their consultant, you know, like supporting them, telling them to get back into or doing 
extra things to help them stay on top of their game. Because that's our, our class would be the consultant and about four other people <laughs> yeah, <laughs> R- yeah. rushing to support. Yeah, well, that's what makes you guys the above average course or group of students that I observed you guys to be. Kiss ass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean because of the the stuff we've talked about in this class, and because of the the weight of our words in the class, I can easily see myself, you know, re- not relying, but staying in touch with the peers from the class as I move through the program, even though I'm not in the same classes as them. So it, it's a great network to just expand. As you get closer with people in other classes, you continue to have this, your family from your family of origin class. Yeah. And we're all friends on Facebook, so we can keep track of each other. I mean, I say the Facebook thing kind of in jest, but, but not really, because there are many students that pass through my classes, we become close and then and then it's hard to keep up with each other. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with Facebook, I'm friends with students that I had years ago and can see what they're up to. Like a bunch of people just graduated this just this week, right? And they all posted on Facebook. And so I get to see all these students like, I graduated, I'm done, I'm done. And, done. and, and I wouldn't have necessarily known that right. because mm-hmm. I'm not that close to them anymore, but I'm close enough. And then also this week or last week, there were a bunch of people, uh, including my supervisees, who passed the licensure exam, and they post on Facebook. I passed my licensure <laughs> exam. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Washington. Wahoo! You know, or, like, wahoo. like, 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 like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you know, and I always have this. I always have this uh, temptation. Tell me what you think. To say I taught her everything she knows. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but then I think people aren't going to think I'm being ironic. You know, they're going to think like, man, what a pompous professor. <laughs> you know. There are so many people that are intimidated of just adding you as a friend on Facebook. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's so funny. They're like, oh, I don't know if I should add him. It's, it's personal. Like, I'm, so, I'm so intimidated. It's, it's re- I'm like, really? Kirk? <laughs> I know, right? Huh. So people are still intimidated. Absolutely. After all of it. Absolutely. Huh. Well, one person in particular, well, actually, no, a handful of people said just because uh, you've read sort of all of our papers, so you know, like all the all the, all the stuff, and but still, that's just like you know. Well, I've read you know I've read your paper. Yeah. They've read your paper. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all friends, so. Huh. I think it's just probably it's the construction, the dynamic, of, yeah, 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 of being professor, and professor and student. And student. Yeah. I mean, even though it's different at the graduate level than it is in undergrad and high school, it's a different dynamic, and it's you're not peers, but you're closer than you are in early in your education. So I think it's. Right, and I, I think it didn't bother me because, like, I, it seems like I've been talking to you forever, like outside of class and stuff. So, right. I don't have that intimidation factor. Right. And it was also the way you taught the class, in terms of being, you know, infusing humor into the class and sometimes being nonchalant about things instead of being <laughs> very like rigid professor-like, mm. where it's like, this is what we're doing. I'm speaking to you professionally. No humor being interjected. Mm. Do your work. Yeah, <laughs> not to kiss your butt for a minute, but. You set a very high bar because of that for, like, the rest of the professors that come after because I'm just worried that they'll be just exactly like Carrie was describing, just all business and no jokes. I was told to take Kirk's class by numerous other faculty members and students. They've kind of told me, like, these are the professors you need to take classes with. Whenever you see their name and you need a class, you take that class immediately. You need to share that with Really, that's that's nice to hear. I wouldn't have thought that that would have been the case, honestly, because a lot of professors are very good, and I I don't worry about your future, Aaron. I I and or yours, Harry. The the profe- the this, the couple in family therapy program at Antioch 
is mature. It's been around for 30 plus years or something. I should know that, honestly. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that? You're the admissions person. I don't. It's been I, around, I say the same thing, 30 plus years. It's, it's, been a long, it's been around for a long time. And when you have a mature program like that and professors and adjunct professors that have been around for 20 plus years, those professors have been vetted, obviously. Yeah. And many other professors have come and gone and have taught one or two courses and been found to be incompetent <laughs> and, and gotten rid of. And those who have stayed have also refined their curriculum and their approach quarter after quarter. I have been teaching Family of Origin since 1998. It's the first class I taught. Every time I teach it, I revamp the class, which is a really stupid thing to do because the last time I taught it, people were happy. Why would I revamp it? Why would I try it? But I just, I'm always refining it. I'm always trying to figure out the perfect way to create the experience of the class for the students, you know? And everything has to lay out just right. And it's very difficult to do that because, you know, how do you create safety? for students. And all 16 people are completely different. Everyone is different, has a different demeanor and a different background and a different, they're different ages. You said some people are 22. I think one student was in his 60s. Is that is I didn't want to say, but <laughs> I don't want to put an age on it, but there's, you know, 50, you late 50s, late 50s <laughs> or, or, or 60s. I, I'm not yeah. sure. And so everyone comes from a different background. How, how can you please everybody essentially and how can you get people to trust each other and how can you get people to feel relaxed because you know from the very beginning i was saying that anxiety is counterproductive to learning counterproductive to experience that we all need to have i i always just wish that i could download my thoughts into the student's <laughs> head because you would not be worried if you really knew what was going on in my head you would not be worried you, none of the students would be worried if they really knew how I thought. It's all the projection that people do. Absolutely, He's going to think I'm an idiot, or he thinks I'm an idiot. And everybody thinks I'm an idiot. Yeah. And I think I'm an idiot. <laughs> right. Where it's just the opposite. Right. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of you students and really recognize the sacrifice and the hard work you're putting in to making the world a better place. There's not a lot of jobs you can say that about. Yeah. There's not a lot of jobs where you can say, you are putting yourself through hell and you're paying a lot of money and you're putting a lot of effort and you're disappointing a lot of family members <laughs> to make the world a better place, you know, yeah, in a real way, in a real way, in a way that you're actually going to be interfacing with human beings and actually in that moment making their life better. And, and one that can affect generations of people. Yeah. yeah. Like right. forever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's pretty big. Breaking the chain. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it back to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Isn't that a fl- to break the chain? Right. Anyway. Um, Who's Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> I know you're younger than me, but not that much younger. How how old are you, Aaron? By the way, this is like a game that all of us have played. Like, guess I, Aaron's I, age. I think you're both about thirty. Spot on. I'm thirty. Okay. Everybody says that I'm like twenty-seven or twenty-eight. Uh-huh. I'm thirty-six. Oh, okay. And I'm single, ladies. So. Well, you're, you're a young-looking thirty-six. Well, thank you. Yeah. You used to be until you became... 43. <laughs> until you became 43. Until <laughs> so you started growing this beard. Yeah, no, that's how oh, yeah. it's Until you became one of the members from Duck Dynasty. Does, does, this, <laughs> does this make me look older? Oh, totally, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I also think it makes you look more Japanese than yeah, yeah, yeah. you did without the beard. Right. People said... I, one, one of my friends said I look like a samurai. <laughs> which, Sweet. Which I, would, I don't think so. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, and some people at the university have said... It looks, makes me look more prof- professorial. Professorial. Is that a word? I think it I is. I have no clue. 
All right. Well, anything else you'd like to say about Family of Origin or Antioch or becoming a therapist or what are your what are your hopes for the future? I don't know. <laughs> I think the program's been really really great so far. I mean, I've only it's only my first class, but it's been really exciting getting back into it, having been out of it for so long. The best part is there's assurance that this is what I want to do, just from the first class, um, experiencing what it was like to again put terminology around my life and it makes me want to reach out to family members and talk to them about their lives so I can see how this cycle has continued through to me um, and making sure the cycle doesn't continue on afterwards. Um, The community has been really supportive. I love that there isn't the emphasis on putting a grade, which helps keep the competition down. It's been good to get the feedback. The thing with the feedback is, you know, leading up to the large papers, the feedback was just checks. So there's still this anxiety around, you know, what is the feedback going to be on this paper where we get the feedback? Um, but it's been great. I mean, I feel like I've improved my writing, even though my punctuation still sucks, but I have Aaron here to fix that. But yeah, I mean, it's a great program um, for students that are coming in. It's going to be challenging personally. Um, having Again, having never gone through therapy, it's been a different experience for me than I'm sure people that have gone through therapy and will continue to do so. Um, so it's kind of like this whole new chapter of my life, not only just academically and professionally, but also personally. It's a huge personal endeavor to continue through it. But yeah, it's been the program's been more than what I expected. That's interesting because if anyone would have known what it would have been like, it you would think it would be me, right? It'd be you because <laughs> you work for Antioch and you're the admissions person, and all the people who apply to our program apply through you, and you're yeah. one of the first people that describes the program to them. Yeah, and I describe it based on conversations with faculty and other students that I've had. So I'm like, oh, great! I'm glad that the the description I've had of the program has been accurate to what I'm experiencing, and not just made up stuff <laughs> about what it could be. So. False advertising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah During but, the application process, I called him yeah. Doctor Chima. Yeah, yeah. I didn't correct him. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. So you worked with Harry to apply, yeah, yeah. and then I interviewed you. Yeah. Most of the students in the class I met with face-to-face during the application process. So it was really cool seeing them in the program. I mean, it's been great going around the university and seeing other students that I've recruited in the past and then getting reaffirmation from them, them that the program is great and it's what they wanted and mm. they're, they're really changed by the program. Paul David, the chair of the program, has said to me that from day one to when you graduate, you're a completely different person. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and even from day one to the end of this class, I feel like I'm a cl- completely different person. So Absolutely. It's, it's great validation that you're getting what was sold to you essentially and, and more. Is that weird to be the admissions person with the classmates? Yeah, it was weird because I didn't know how much I should share because I'm still like a staff member at the university. Yeah. But then again, I don't really work with students once they get into the program. So it's different. Right. Um, and there's been no bickering about stuff that's going on within the classroom or how faculty or how, you know, you've taught the class or other things. So I haven't been in like a weird situation where I have to like watch my math because there's nothing to be watched about it. So right. um, even in those informal study groups, you know, it wasn't like, so, so tell us the secrets of what the professors are really like or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I never even thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you know a lot about us behind the scenes yeah. and could, you know, illuminate. And I would actually encourage you to illuminate because it might break down that hierarchy that is not helpful. Yeah. And I guess a last thing would be, you know, speaking with some other friends that I have that have done other programs that are not Antioch, um, the difference in hearing Antioch students talk about the relationship with their faculty members versus unnamed student and other unnamed university faculty members um, and how there's our faculty members are just a lot more supportive. Um, they're really taking a genuine interest in your individual development and your individual interests, I guess, because of the style of the academics where 
you read in every individual paper and give feedback instead of just reading it and saying, you know, A, B, C. Our faculty are our resources. And I've been told that I need to use faculty more because I've only met with my advisor once for 15 minutes. Yeah, definitely use your advisors. I think the reason why it feels differently to the students than it might feel in other schools, other universities, is that the faculty uh, ourselves are like a family. We feel close to each other because like I, you know, I was saying before, the professors have been teaching here forever. I've been teaching for 15, 16 years at Antioch, and I'm one of the new guys. Right. And so I think that really is felt by the students because when you as a professor feel good about your job and feel supported and know that your fellow faculty have your back and you love going to work, I think it comes out in, in your work with students. So I think, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, just build, just building off of like the overall experience, just how life altering just this one class is, you know, and this is at the very beginning of the entire program. And like Harry said, I'm, I'm a completely different person now than what I was three months ago and a better person and a better human being. And not only that, like I love people more. I think sometimes I'm totally guilty of this. Uh, we just walk around in our own heads and we don't really, we, we kind of see people as, uh, just kind of these, not so much as, not so much humans, just other things in our periphery. That's, that's an old guy and yeah. oh, that's a yuppie or yeah, that's, yeah. that's a homeless person. That's not yeah. a person with their own thoughts, feelings, problems, right. you know, issues, battles, all that stuff. And it just, but, and, and having that awareness brings me closer to my fellow humans. I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's very one humbling. Thing, yeah, if it's one thing about reading your papers and being a therapist and seeing the yuppie and the old guy and the homeless person come into your office and talk about themselves, you realize that all of our ideas about who people are are often false. Yeah. And that once you get to know people, you realize that everyone has a very rich, interesting story that that I can relate to. Absolutely. <laughs> that I can really go, whoa, I am like, I am riveted by your life. So someone that is walking down the street and you just sort of label offhandedly, once you actually get to know them, in all likelihood, they'd blow you away. Yeah. You know? And so that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a greater sense of awareness. Yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. That doesn't go away. Yeah, once you're, a, I think there's, I don't, some famous foreign guy who said this that once your awareness is expanded, it never shrinks, it never goes back. Yeah, so to future students, be prepared to have your life changed for the better. You seem, I don't know if this is just a reflection of my relationship with you developing or our, just our bromance, our bromance, but you seem much more comfortable in your own shoes than when I first met you. Really? Yeah. You seem more at peace or something. Yeah. That. Yeah. More at peace. More at peace. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, just everything has expanded, you know, uh, especially, I mean, everybody in podcast land and even you guys don't even know how the, the situation that I came from, but it was entirely different <laughs> than, than, than this experience. And it's been extremely healthy for me particularly, you know, this class. And so I very much feel like a different human being, you know, uh, a better human being. And I think that's probably like the general consensus from uh, all of us yeah. is that, you know, yeah, we're walking around like hugging and loving and all kinds of stuff. It's funny that one of the last assignments you had us do this past week, um, 
talking about how we've used this, you know, how did you display differentiation or lack of or whatever? Oh, um, one of them was uh, <laughs> neither of us did like half of it. <laughs> Apparently, we're perfect human beings. <laughs> one of them was, you know, did. when did you judge someone and then like stop yourself and whatever <laughs> and and show compassion? Yeah. <laughs> my answer was just yeah harry i judged a lot of people <laughs> period <laughs> but then it was like but i was aware of what i was doing and i was able to stop myself from continuing which was very different than in the past where it was just like judge 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 so. yeah and that and i think that's like a huge point to build off that is that coming into grad school and into this class i had this expectation that i had to be more than human you know, because everybody else is going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to be these super machines that are just going to shoot lasers and thoughts out of their faces. And it's totally not like that whatsoever. Yeah. And just breaking down all those, all of our social constructions, you know, not to get postmodern on everybody, but, mm-hmm. uh, just break in, just, just leave all that stuff at the door. Yeah. Which That was a funny thing that you said too, in your nonchalant way. Like, yeah, all those, all those preconceived notions and stuff that you've been walking around with whole life. Yeah. Go ahead and get rid of those. Just, just do that. <laughs> just do that real quick for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I said to you guys that was you before you were a therapist, right? Yeah. Now that you're a therapist, you can't think that way anymore. Just leave it at the door. Yeah. That's that's over. Yep. Yeah, and you totally can't. Right. And just looking back on just ways of that I used to think and stuff, and I just do a face palm, you know? Yeah. Because it's it, you can't be that way anymore, and it's only the. It's only the first step. <laughs> the level one right I'm now. Be, I had a long way to go. I know. I, I'm, I'm one. a level one therapist. <laughs> yep. I level cast one. magic missile and differentiation. <laughs> I cast magic missile at the depression. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you guys, Harry and Aaron, so much for coming on the podcast and talking about your experience. It's It's been uh, very interesting to me. Uh, I'd love to talk about it more with you, and I'm sure we will, but we've been talking for almost two hours, and oh, wow. uh, that it, oh, really? that's just too long. Yeah, That's just too long. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us, and please take care of yourself and take care of other people. Stop judging and have more compassion. Harry. Thank you. Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> Larry. Larry. Has it been two hours? Uh, it's 142. Yeah.